It's podcasting time. I'm Just Another Jerk with a podcast, and my name is Jonathan Isaacson, and this is Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan, a podcast about Japan. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you do that sort of thing. Maybe it's Pop, Apple Podcast. It's probably Apple Podcast. They are the Goliath of podcasting services. Uh, maybe you're on some other platform like Google Podcast or Stitcher or whatever. Uh, you can also subscribe in those places. So uh, if you get the so if you subscribe, you'll get those new episodes automatically. Uh, so please listen, rate, review, give it five stars if you really like me. Please leave a review, even if it's something like two words, you know, it rocks or something like that. Anything helps the show and. Uh, please remember to share the show. Don't forget to share it with your friends or inflict it on your enemies, however you feel about it. There is always someone you can share it with. So today I am joined by a guest. Uh, so my friend Tracy Weedman, please say hello to the people. Hi. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me here well, today. Thank you, for, thank you for joining me. And so today we're jumping in the Wayback Machine for another episode of Everything You Never Wanted to Know About Japanese History. And we're going to go way, 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 way back in history for this one. And so this is actually part of a uh, topic, a kind of a subject matter that you suggested, Tracy. So I asked for suggestions on topics that weren't as depressing historically. And what did you suggest? I think I suggested something about Badass women doing great things. And that is exactly what we are going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about awesome women of Japanese history. Excellent. So, and I was looking at, say, as, as I said, I, I put this comment out on, I think it was on Facebook. I needed help because most of my historical topics are really depressing topics. So if you've listened to the history episode so far, we had mining disasters in U-Body. We had the the deadliest uh, mountaineering accident of all of modern times, things like that are kind of very common in my historical knowledge, unfortunately. So I asked for some more uplifting topic and Tracy came through with the awesome suggestion of awesome women, badass women of Japan. Can't wait. So here we go. So we're going on to the early part of the common era. So most people know it as AD, I was a history major, so we don't use AD and BC anymore. That's kind of outdated to use those terms. So it's now it's CE and BCE for common era before the common era. So anyway, today's awesome woman lived in, it wasn't Japan yet. It was what would become Japan in the second and third centuries of the common era. She was born sometime around 170 CE and died around 248 CE. So, for reference, the legendary first emperor of Japan was Emperor Jimu. Have you ever heard of Jimu at all? I don't think so. Okay. Well, he's the legendary uh, first emperor of Japan, and he lived from 711 BCE to 585 BCE. Now, if you're playing along at home, you'll note that Jimu, or his, his, his full name as he was known at the time, Kamu Yamato Iwarebiko no Mikoto. Um, Jimu is his posthumous name. He supposedly lived to be 126 years old. Wow. Mm, yeah, yep, that, that totally happened. 
totally happened. Sure. He totally lived to be 126, you know, that almost 3,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. But now there is no actual proof that he lived. Um, but, you know, it's, that is the beginning of what would go on to become Japan, at least legendarily. So today's subject was alive well after Jimu is supposed to have lived, but still before that there was anything that, you know, resembled a modern nation-state of Japan. At the time, Japan was still a bunch of fiefdoms, you know, essentially ruled by chieftains and warlords, you know, as many places in the world were at that time. Now, a lot of what we know about Japanese history from this period in time comes from Chinese histories. So... China as a nation is much older than Japan. The legendary beginnings of China as a nation go back over 2,000 years BCE, so 4,000 years from now. The first emperor of a unified China, it's not quite all of modern China, but it actually is a major chunk of it. And this is the first like identifiable, verifiable uh, emperor of, of China. Dates from around... 200 BCE. So about the same time as, as the person we're talking about today. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. So China, having this very long, nearly 4,000 years of history, you know, over 2,000 of verifiable history and, you know, 4,000 of legendary history. China has a lot more, they, they wrote a lot of histories. Um, if you know anything about ancient China, there are lots of histories, and that's actually one of the things to become a, a Mandarin in the court uh, in China. You had to learn the ancient histories. You actually, I think, had, I think you had to write out by hand large chunks of it. It was a pretty tough test to become a, a, an official in the government in ancient China. So, so, yeah, the Chinese wrote histories about themselves, but they also wrote about the surrounding territories. So your Koreas, your Vietnams, your Japans, and... You know, well, the people in the places that would go on to become those countries, because obviously those are all modern nation states. And interestingly enough, today's awesome woman is omitted by Japanese histories. And we'll get into that a little later, why that might be. But she was written about in the Chinese histories and was actually also mentioned in one of the ancient Korean histories. All right. So she was a ruler and a shamaness. And they're kind of two different kind of versions of what sort of leader she was, you know, which is not surprising considering she lived 1800 years ago. You know, one version is she was a very wise, benevolent ruler. And one was she was much more a kind of a despotic ruler. So there's, there's, there's <laughs> oh, kind of boy. two versions of her, of her story. We don't know a whole lot of the details, obviously. Um, you know, there was no Twitter or YouTube to document what she was actually doing. So the the details of her life are still fairly cloudy. We don't know a lot of the details in, in real, uh, in detail. Um, so anyway, her name was Himiko. Or at least that's how we read her name today. Um, we don't know exactly what her name was. But the way the ancient Chinese histories write her name, if you read those in modern Japanese, they are read as Himiko. Although Pimiko is also a possible reading. Um, it's just a voiced, unvoiced consonant thing that Japanese does. Um, right. 
Right. Yeah. So like Japan, you just put little two little marks by a, by a character and it changes from voice to unvoiced or sorry, unvoiced to voice, I should say, is what the change is. And so it could be Himiko, but if you voice, it's Pimiko. Um, and apparently the first characters that are in the in her name, if you read them in the ancient Chinese of the day, which I'm not even going to try because I can't speak modern Chinese, so I'm not even going to attempt ancient Chinese. Those first characters are all read with a P sound. Um, you can go look up Himiko on Wikipedia, and there is a little discussion about how to, to say her name. Um, again, I'm not even going to try those as possible uh, the possible reconstructions of the pronunciation, but she is known, at least in Japan, nearly universally as Himiko. So that's the name that I'm going to go with for today. Sounds good. So, and I just need to give out a good shout out here um, to, there's a woman named Chelsea Bernard. She writes for a website called Tofugu. I don't know, are you familiar with Tofugu at all? I have seen it, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a blog slash kind of interest site for just things Japan. And she did a really nice series. Um, I think it's called Badass Woman in Japanese History. So you can look her up. It's a really, <laughs> really good um, article. That's, so a lot of my information is coming from her. Uh, her article on, on Himiko, um, also Wikipedia's. Wikipedia actually has a reasonable, uh, you know, and it's mostly quotations from sources, but, you know, it's, there's, there is there is information out there if you want to learn about Himiko on your own. That's great. So yeah, Chelsea Bernard, Tofugu. Um, so thank you, Chelsea Bernard, for your awesome work. And so who was Himiko? And why did the Chinese write about her? So as I said, she was a shamaness and a ruler, and she ruled over a place called Yamatai Koku, which is a, was a territory within Wakoku. So the land that would go on to become Japan a long time ago was called Wakoku. And um, there, there, there is a debate about the location of Yamata, Yamatai Koku. And it's in fact one of the oldest debates in Japanese history. Now, it's e- Yamatai Koku was either in Kyushu, near Saga, or in the Kinki region, near Nara. Now, do, do you, have you been to either, like, the, the, the whole Osaka-Nara area at all? I have. Okay. I have, yeah. So that, that's kind of the, what's generally considered the, the home of Japan, of modern Japan. Right, right. right that, that's kind of the ancient capital is Nara, and even before Nara, some of the other areas in that uh, other places in that area were kind of capital cities for ancient civilizations in Japan. So that's one possible location of Himiko's territory. The other one is down in Kyushu. Um, have you ever been to Kyushu? Only once. And um, I was just in Fukuoka. Okay. So you're just kind of on the tip and, of Kyushu. Right. And that was just for a day, but I really wanted to go back. I, I just had a good feeling about the place. Yeah, I, I've been to Kyushu. I do enjoy it. Um, but yeah, so that's one other possibility of where Himiko's kingdom was. Or I guess queendom, I should say. Um, yes. <laughs> where her queendom was, was in Kyushu, in a place called Saga. In mod- the modern place is called Saga. But yeah, one of those two areas. We don't know for sure which it is. Um, but like I said, we do know she was the ruler of... Yamatai Koku, and she was perhaps the first Japanese person 
like real person that we can verify to have her name recorded to history. Really? Yeah. So she's got that going for her, I guess. That's excellent. Yeah. So yeah, and this is again from the Chinese histories. So yeah, they named her, and she's one of the first named people in from uh, from Japan that we know of. Wow. Like I say, Jimu and all the others. The other previ- prior emperors, you know, that back in the 700 BC or whatever, they're all legendary. There's no proof of their existence at this point. Um, so, yeah. What do we actually know about Himiko? Okay, well, we know for sure that she lived during a transition period between the Yayoi and the Kofun eras of Japan. Now, the Yayoi period was, one of, uh, it was a period of great change in Japan. It was a transition from hunter-gatherer society into a farming society, and there was a large influx of people coming from the Asian continent. So the Yayoi period is really kind of when Japan kind of coalesces into larger communities. And um, towards the end of the Yayoi period, Japan transitioned into the Kofun era. And it's named for this tendency to build these large often keyhole-shaped tumuluses. So these, then in Japanese, those are known as kofun. And, you know, they were big burial mounds for very important people. And Himiko probably played an important part in the development of the kofun tumuluses. I've seen those. There's actually one um, in Kawagoe where you, it's not, it's a little tiny one. But and it was actually very close to where I used to live. Yeah. And yeah, it, I think I've been to that one. It's on, on that little bike path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think it took me about three years before I realized that what it was. <laughs> but yes, there's a little. There, cause that's a much smaller one. But the very the very important people got these gigantic uh, burial mounds. Some gigantic, of them, like how gigantic? Uh, some of them are several hundred meters long. Oh. So. Yeah, that some of them are very, very, very big, especially oh, to go wow. to, like, say, down kind of the Nara, um, Osaka, Kyoto area. There's a lot of them. That's where the, most of the big ones are. Okay. Um, so, yeah. What do we know about her, like, more kind of more detail? Like I said, um, she was born probably sometime around 170 uh, CE. Say, the official ancient Japanese histories are completely silent on her existence. But the Chinese text, the Kingdom of Wei, which was written in 297 CE, is the first recorded mention of Himiko. So yes, it's after her death, but not by a whole lot. So there may have actually been people with living memories of Himiko when the text was written. So it was after her death, but not by a lot. Um, and so I have to ex- presume there were kind of records of some sort written, maybe written, maybe oral, that kind of informed this uh, Kingdom of Wei history. Like I say, she's also mentioned in other Chinese texts, but they're kind of just kind of parroting and saying the same things as the Kingdom of Wei histories. So they're probably just copying from the older Chinese histories. And what do we know from the Chinese histories? So, according to the histories, in the late 100s, Japan, or Wa, Wakoku, as it was known, you know, so here's a little bit for the uh, the Japanese speakers in the audience. So, do you know by chance what the term for Japanese food in Japanese is? 
So if you don't, it's washoku. Oh gosh, I probably should, shouldn't I? <laughs> so yeah, washoku. Oh, of course. Okay, yes. So yes. that that wa comes from the ancient name for for Japan. And you know, if you, a Japanese style something, it's wafu. So if it's wafu, right. like a wafu, washiki, okay. like a, a Japanese toilet, Japanese style squat toilet, washiki, Japanese style. So that wa comes from the ancient name for Japan. So, Great. so back to back to our story here. Um, so anyway, in the late one hundreds, wa was in disarray, civil wars, infighting, those kind of things, due to the lack of any real strong leaders. And who should step in but our badass woman of the day, Himiko? Go, Himiko. By all accounts, she was unmarried, and she selected and she was selected by the people to lead. Um, she had an armed guard and was attended by a retinue of one thousand women. Oh my gosh! And so she she was mostly cloistered, and she communicated with the masses through a man who was identified as her brother. But in both Chinese and Japanese culture, the term brother can be used just for a male who's of a similar age. Okay. So it's not for certain whether he was actually a blood relative. It's that, That's not necessarily implied by the term brother in this case. So she took control of the territory, um, known as Yamatai Koku, in around 190. Yeah, so she's fairly young at this time, because she's born around 170. She takes control around 190. So she's only 20 years old or so. And she ruled for another 60 years, give or take. And according to the records, she was the top boss of something like 100 or so clans. So like I said, this period of time, there's a lot of kind of warring, you know, warlords and fiefdoms and whatnot. And so she's kind of the top of 100 or so of these clans. This is so not like the Japan we know. I know. It's it's very different, isn't it? It's so crazy. I love this, though. Keep going. So, she was the boss of about 100 or so clans, and she also sent emissaries to China. And this is how she ends up in the Chinese histories. There were at least four missions sent to the Wei dynasty in China. And this is how she ended up with the title, Queen of Wa, Friendly to the Wei. And she apparently also sent a messenger to Korea, which was a colony of China at the time, in the mid-200s, complaining about fights with another kingdom, or I should say hers is the queendom and the other is a kingdom, uh, within Wa. And the Chinese dispatched, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get the in the tones right here, so forgive me Chinese speakers, Chang Cheng, acting secretary of the border guard with a proclamation advising reconciliation. So, yeah, she was a big enough deal to be asking the head of China, the major player in the area, for favors directly. And for all of her troubles, she got a bunch of mirrors out of the deal. Which, as Chelsea Bernard puts it in her Tofu article, mirrors were the ultimate status symbol at this time. You know, it's a mirror is was much much harder to make. You know, eighteen hundred right. years ago, so mirrors are a huge deal. Yeah. You know, if you have, you know, these dozens and hundreds of mirrors, 
that's a pretty big thing to have. So, yeah, according to Chinese reports, she was a pre- she was pretty much a badass. So, queen with all her mirrors. With the queen with all her mirrors. <laughs> so she died in around we we the be, as best we can figure out two forty eight of the Common Era. Now, according to the history of Wei, when Himiko passed away, a great mound was raised, more than a hundred paces in diameter. Over a hundred male and female attendants followed her to the grave. When the king was placed on the throne, the people would not obey him. Assassination and murder followed. More than 1,000 were thus slain. A relative of Himiko named Io, a girl of 13, was then made queen, and order was restored. Cheng issued a proclamation to the effect that Io was the ruler. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack in that quotation. No kidding. (laughs) So let's start at the end with Io. Not much is known about her. But, yeah, the people apparently wouldn't go for some dude on the throne. And (laughs) they only chilled out once a woman. Because she was really a girl. But I suppose at this time, 13 is kind of getting into that becoming a woman period. Sure, back then. Back then. Um, But, yeah, so, so the people wouldn't wouldn't chill out until another woman was put on the throne. Oh my gosh, can you imagine that? <laughs> no. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, no. Oh, I'm loving this. Okay. <laughs> so, not say other than that, not much else is known. Um, we do know that Io might not have been her actual name. It might have been Toyo, and Io was just a, a mistake because, I mean, kanji are tough. Even if it's your native language, there are so many of them that it's easy to make a mistake. Yeah, that was a much more feminist period in Japanese history, um, I guess we could say. Apparently. And so another thing that's worth talking about in that quotation is the tomb. So a great mound was raised. This sounds a lot like those kofun I was talking about earlier, those, mm-hmm. those Japanese burial mounds. Right. They started around this time. You know, the, the, the mid-200s is kind of the earliest records of these burial mounds. You know, I'll say a lot of the the most famous ones, you know, they're well known and they're largely keyhole shaped. And so it's very possible that Himiko was buried in one of the earliest, if not the earliest, Kofun tumulus. And so maybe it might have been her death that started the whole tumulus culture that kind of gives up an era of Japanese history, its name. Oh, also, wow, she was a trendsetter. She was a trendsetter. <laughs> and then there's the whole, you know, a bunch of servants who followed her to the grave. L- liter- literally? Uh, Is that what you're meaning? Like followed her followed her in? <laughs> probably. Okay. I mean, this All is right. this is a very different era of the world. You know, that was Well, didn't that happen in in ancient Egypt? I think it happened in a lot of cultures. Cause I'm pretty and, sure the, and cultures where, yeah, where kings and queens were buried with their followers or their relatives. In yeah, fact. I'm pretty sure it's, that was common in parts of the Americas as well. Mm, I'm pretty mm-hmm, sure the Aztecs, right. did, the Aztecs did the same thing, I think. Right, right, right. I, the Incas probably did something similar. So, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a pretty common thing around the world that, you know, it's, at a certain period of, of history, if the king or queen dies their servants go with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, 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 
yeah, they they followed her to the grave is how it is translated. Okay. So <laughs> now the exact location of the tomb is unknown, um, but recent archaeological research suggests that it is it might be the Hashihaka Kofun, which is near um, Nara, and it dates from around 250 of the Common Era. Oh, which lines up very neatly with when it's when it's pretty sure that Himiko died. She'd say the the best estimates she died 248. This tomb dates from around 250. That's within the that's within the margin of error. Unfortunately, the Imperial Household Agency, which is the government agency in charge of everything related to the emperor and his ancestors, you know, so that's a couple thousand years of history. They will not allow research to be done on any of the officially designated uh, tumuluses. Tumuli? Oh, really? Whatever. Yeah. So oh. the, the Hashihaka Kofun is off limits. Okay. So the research was actually done on kind of the stuff around the the tomb. Okay. So they found like uh, remnants of like pottery and things that date from that time that are kind of surrounding the tomb. So their best guess is the tomb was built at that time. So yeah, the, that, the Hashihaka Hashi Haka Kofun is off limits. Um, the artifacts around it have been carbon dated to around 250. It's a good, it, it's, it's a reasonable bet. What's well, a reasonable guess, I should say, that it could be Himiko's tomb. Oh, wow. Oh, I just want a little sidebar here uh, on the Hashi Haka Kofun. So, you know the term, you know what Hashi are, right? Chopsticks. <laughs> yes. So it literally translates as the chopstick tomb. Oh. And haka means um, grave. Right. So it's the grave, it's the the chopstick tombs, chopstick grave. Let me just read you this little translated passage that kind of talking about the tomb. It's not directly related to the story of Himiko. It's another story that has been attached to this, this uh, particular tomb. I just think this is worth reading. Okay. After this, Yamato Toto Hi Momosobime no Mikoto, that's all one name, became the wife of Ohomononushi no Kami. This god, however, was never seen in the daytime, but at night. Yamato Toto Hi Momosobime no Mikoto said to her husband, as my lord is never seen in the daytime, I am unable to view his august countenance distinctly. I beseech him, therefore, to delay a while, that in the morning I may look upon the majesty of his beauty. The great god answered and said, What thou sayest is clearly right. Tomorrow morning I will enter thy toilet case and stay there. I pray thee not be alarmed at my form. Yamato Totohi Momo Sobime no Mikoto wondered secretly in her heart at this. Waiting until daybreak, she looked into her toilet case, and there was a beautiful little snake of the length and thickness of a cord of, the, of a garment. Thereupon she was frightened and uttered an exclamation. The great god was ashamed, and changing suddenly into human form, spake to his wife and said, Thou didst not contain them thyself, but hast caused me shame. I will in my turn put thee to shame." So treading the great void, he ascended to Mount Mimoro. Hereupon, Yamato Toto Hi Momosobime no Mikoto looked up and had remorse. She flopped down on a seat 
and with a chopstick, stabbed herself in the pudenda so that she died. She, <laughs> she was buried at Ohochi. Therefore, the men of that time called the, ter- the tomb Hashinohaka, chopstick tomb. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is from the Japanese history. So it doesn't actually refer directly to Himiko. You know, we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, I just thought that I should share this because... So yeah, the lady was... She was so upset that she stabbed herself in the pudenda. (laughs) You know what? If I saw a snake and I was hoping to see my husband, I think I'd probably react the same way. So it just... You know how I love snakes. (laughs) I mean, just everyone... Does everyone... the, The term pudenda, of course is an old-fashioned word for genitals. Oh, my God. So she freaked out and got upset, and so she stabbed herself in the vagina area with chopsticks and bled out and died. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. And that's where the name of the tomb comes from. Oh, wow. So like I say, that story doesn't actually correspond to the Himiko story. It's just something that has been attached to that tomb. Um, no, that doesn't make um, Hiniko's tomb as, um, I don't know, prestigious or as, um, I don't know, what's the, what's the right word, august, as it might have been? Yeah, it, it, it's... If, yeah, if the story is, uh, is part of its legend. <laughs> yeah, but like I say, it, it, it's, the story does not correspond to anything we know about Himiko, so that, that much we can say. <laughs> That's good. But um, but yeah, so the tumulus, due to some more recent research, is now thought to be Himiko's grave. But barring a change of heart from perhaps the most conservative a- conservative agency within the Japanese government, the Imperial Household Agency, we'll probably never know. You know, they will never allow any research to be done on any of the official imperial uh, tombs. But there is at least a decent chance that this tomb does in fact belong to Himiko. Okay, and so as I said, you know, unfortunately, the ancient Japanese histories are silent with regards to Himiko. So the two Japanese histories of ancient times were both written in the 8th century of this common era, and it's probable that the writers were emulating the patriarchal Chinese ideals of the time. So remember, China is the dominant force in East Asia for most of, you know, known history. And, you know, if you're you know, pushing these patriarchal ideas, a shamanist queen doesn't really fit into that. Uh-uh. For the Chinese, though, I mean, if they're writing about her, well, it's not their cult, it's not their country, it's not their culture, you know. So who cares what those crazy people in Wa are doing? You know, if they want to have queens <laughs> and shamanesses in charge, that we don't care. It's not us. So well, they they could write about you know leaders of other places that were in fact women. So yeah, that's probably what's up with the whole not being mentioned in the in the Japanese histories it's it's probably mm-hmm. it's the patriarchy of as course. a lot of things <laughs> are unfortunately right. so yeah that that's kind of probably why she's not mentioned in the Japanese histories at all because mm-hmm. most of the women that are mentioned tend to be wives and consorts of the emperor uh, not huh. leaders in and of their own in their own right that makes sense so but during the Edo period, so we're in the, talking about the late 1600s, early 1700s, to be more specific, there are these two dudes. There's a man named Arai Hakseki and Motoori Norinaga. 
and they begin the debate about Himiko and where in Japan she was from. And again, this is something that's still not clear. So Arai thought that the Chinese histories were probably correct, and that Himiko was probably from the Kinki region, from the Nara area. Nara, Osaka, Kyoto, that area. As I say, this is kind of the area that would kind of go on to become Japan as we know it today. So if you if you know your Japanese history at all, the old capitals of Japan are all in the kind of the western part of the country. So around Kyoto, Osaka, Nara, that area. Right. And that's where Arai thought Himiko was probably from. So Motoori, he was more of the opinion that Himiko was from Kyushu. And for a long time, he kind of was, his theory was more supported because it, it kind of fit in line with the, uh, the, the, the nationalist, you know, sentiment, you know, that she couldn't have been the, the main queen of the, the central area that became uh, Japan. She was probably just the leader of some far flung region. That was kind of the dominant theory for a long time. But as I've mentioned, more modern research, more modern scholarship seems to gravitate more towards Arai's position that Himiko was in fact from the Kinki region and kind of matching up with that whole Hashihaka, the, uh, the chopstick tomb story. Not the story, but the tomb itself, I should say. And as I say, we'll probably never know because of the imperial household agency. They are incredibly conservative and it takes, you know, they, they, they are very against having any research that will disturb any of the graves at all, in the, even in the smallest way. So we'll probably never get any sure answer. But, like I say, a lot of good science is pointing at this being the site of Himiko's grave. And that would cement her as a major fig- figure in the very central part of very early Japanese history. And as I say, very likely the first Japanese person that we can verify who was had their name preserved to history. God, that's amazing. So today, Himiko's image and likeness are used in all sorts of promotions and the like. I mean, she's a mascot character. Really? I mean, yeah. Yeah, they're they're both in both the Kinki and in the Kyushu areas that she has become a mascot character for some of the from some of the towns. Cool. So if you look, if you look for her online, like say the uh, the article on Tofugu um, does talk about this as well. So you can see some pictures of of some of the little mascot characters of Himiko. Oh, great! Okay. Um, but yeah, because um, she's been used in both in, in towns in both areas as a mascot character, and as you're well familiar with. You know, Japan loves its mascot characters. I do know that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, she's also been co-opted for a bunch of other purposes. There was, a, there was like a, 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 a PSA, you know, chew your food like Himiko did to improve your tooth health. Okay. And we know how she chewed because... Um, <laughs> the food was tougher then? We can just then? imagine... I mean, in 200 of the common era, the food was a lot tougher, so you had to chew more. I don't know. <laughs> That's really random. I mean, unless it's not, unless somebody knows something we don't know. Uh, who knows? But, I mean, she's also in, like, a video game character. Um, she's the inspiration for ma- for manga characters. Oh. Um, she was also, there was a, uh, she was the central figure in a, there was a song. So there's a, a kid's show on NHK that my daughter really like, really likes. And they had a song about Himiko. And the first time I heard it, I didn't, I, I didn't really know much about the 
historical figure Himiko. So I, I just figured it was a, a made-up thing. But then I looked at the lyrics, and the song actually talks about Himiko and Yamatai Koku. So it's very much is the Himiko. And from everything I've read, you know, Himiko is kind of one of those names that most Japanese people are familiar with now. So, yeah, she's probably the first badass woman in Japanese history that we know about thanks to the Chinese histories. So, there you go. There is the... I love it. There is one of the earliest known Japanese people. Wow, that's fantastic. Thanks for finding her. Yeah, like I say, I, a big shout out to... Uh, make sure I get the name right. Chelsea... Uh, Bernard? Bernard, thank you. Chelsea Bernard at Tofu <laughs> for the for the, the good article that kind of started me off in this direction. So, Oh, uh, I like that. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it, it, It's an interesting article, like I said, and she, you, you can see pictures of some of the... Uh, mascot characters that Himiko has become oh cool okay so so yeah that's okay that that is Himiko excellent so and that is where we're going to end it for today um, okay so please remember to subscribe rate review share sneak onto a phone of a friend and uh, maybe their computer download it and subscribe for them you know whatever it is you can help out you can do to help out the podcast and you can find the twitter for this podcast at just another cast and you can email questions, comments, suggestions to just another jerk podcast at gmail.com. So on that note, we're done. <laughs> <laughs>